Kristen Comes Home to Die by Julie Pierce. Almost immediately, the townspeople who volunteered to ease the young mother's last days realised that she was helping them. When I talk about how our town came together to help Kristen Howard die at home, I am asked, didn't it feel strange? You hardly knew her. I can't explain how quickly and deeply we volunteers got to know Kristen in her last days. I suppose her impending death cut through all the personality issues. My other relationships were also affected. People appeared in their best light. Shadows faded. I mentioned the lifting of shadows to another volunteer. The woman's eyes sparkled in agreement. I thought I'd be really depressed, she commented. Kristen is so young and all. But when I come home, I feel good. Last Saturday night, Kristen and I talked for hours and laughed, and it was fun. I wouldn't dare tell most people that. I didn't understand it myself, but affirmations were certainly all around, right from the beginning. The beginning. On a freezing night in January 1982, at a parent-teacher meeting in Temple, a small town in New Hampshire in the US, Jim Grant, the elementary school principal, mentioned that maybe we could help a parent who had a problem. Kristen Howard, aged 32 and divorced mother of 80 in second grade, had cancer. Financial burdens were increasing the oppression of the disease. Kristen was now in the hospital and 80 had moved to her grandmother's. Immediately, we parents made plans to help. A bake sale, a book sale, a raffle, a chilly lunch. Although our town has only 700 residents, the volunteer spirit was swift, effective. We'd collected $3,000 by Kristen Howard Day. We settled into a few weeks of hoping and praying. We had done our part. Kristen was caught up with her bills and was assured that the basics would be covered. Then on Sunday, February 28, the Reverend Jim Haddix, Minister of Temple's Church, announced from the pulpit that Kristen wished to come home to die. Doctors had told her that there was no hope. At her home, she could be near her daughter, her mother and her boyfriend. But she would need care, feeding, turning, watching and visiting. Many people were anxious to help. The next day, the school sent a notice home to parents, asking us to sign up for a rotation schedule. About 30 people volunteered. Some stepped forward, as I did, imagining the situation in reverse. What if I had... Some offered a few hours and others more. The schedule was filled immediately with a backup list. Anne Holbrook, who organised the rotation, briefed each volunteer by phone. Kristen's mother, Ruthie, would sit with her at night. Kristen's brother and sister on weekends. We were needed from 8am to 10pm. We were there to serve Kristen's needs, not to do any heroics when the time came. We got drinks, opened the windows gave her comfort and support. Most of us had little or no experience with this work. Kristen knew that. Her job was to cope with death and adjust to her suffering and losses. Kristen was nervous about meeting new people when she felt so terrible, but she knew that this was the only way she could come home. And no one knew better than she how simple her demands were. Kristen's ex-sister-in-law Ingrid was a nurse she would come nearly every day to help treat bed sores, give baths, check things out in general. That was a comfort. Anyway, it didn't look as if Kristen would last long when she first came home. 
she was emaciated, jaundiced and weak. At first, she seemed to be actually working at the dying process. During this time, her words were generally unintelligible, her eyes partially closed. But if she was spoken to, or if her body called her with a need, she was able to come into our world and tell us what she wanted. We were grateful for this, because we really didn't know what to do. Almost immediately, recognition dawned that Kristen was helping us, training us and teaching us courage. And all of us came away with some solutions to our own problems about death and dying. The first day I was there, Kristen was nauseated, too sick to take a sip of water, yet so thirsty that it hurt to swallow. I sat at her bedside, angry at her suffering, angry at her illness, angry at God for allowing this. As I realised my helplessness, I turned to Kristen. A look of intense, clear light poured through her eyes. It was a light from beyond her personality, and it went to my heart. It was a look of unconditional love, a look that frees and forgives. It was God's answer. In a flash, the look was gone. Kristen remembered some medicine for nausea that she had taken before. We called her doctor, and a volunteer rushed over from the pharmacy with the prescription. Soon Kristen was happily eating a popsicle. Another scene. Aidy came in after school. She had just had chicken pox and hadn't seen her mother for days. She came in slowly, quietly registering the changes that showed daily. Kristen awoke and said, Aidy. Mummy, I have some cards for you. Kristen touched Aidy's hand while she read the cards aloud. Thank you, Kristen said, smiling. Relieved, Aidy scurried off. When she was in the hospital, Kristen had dreamed that she told Aidy all that was going to happen. She related this to a doctor. When he spoke with Aidy one day about dying, he told her the dream. That night, the child told her grandmother, I know mummy is going to die. I know about dying because, remember, my kittens died. As the days passed into weeks, Kristen's heartbeat became the heartbeat of the town. The network of volunteers grew closer. Anne Holbrook called each of us the night before we had a turn and told us how things had been that day. Ruthie wrote Kristen a song, Turn It Around, and her boyfriend John played it on the guitar and they sang and cried. This morning when she awoke, she wanted to hear the words again. Touching Kristen was important. It made her feel better physically and showed her that the sickness hadn't made her repulsive. Volunteer Robin Reed, trained to work with the dying in a nearby hospice, recalled, Kristen was so amazing, so easy to help. Within a half hour of our first meeting, I was massaging her. Lonnie Brown, who sat with Kristen on several Wednesdays, once asked her if she was afraid of dying. No, she answered. Another time she asked him for a popsicle. He put it in her hand. She could hardly lift it. When she finally got it to her mouth, she smiled. The smile flooded Lonnie with joy. For me, Kristen was a teacher of the stages of dying. Denial and isolation, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. I assumed that she had come to acceptance before she came home. I wasn't aware that I, a stranger, would have to experience the stages also. At one point, I decided that Kristen was getting better. Under the guise of hope, I started thinking, doesn't she look better today? She did not. 
no reason existed to justify my hopes. Once I accepted the reality of her death, I could see how the visitors who were denying it exhausted her with their hopes. One Wednesday morning, for instance, Kristen's boyfriend tried to get her to eat some pancakes with maple syrup. She wasn't interested in food anymore, but she did eat a few bites to please him. He wanted her to regain her strength and health. After he left, a friend dropped in. Kristen was sleeping. Shocked at how thin she looked, the friend said intensely, I hope she goes quickly. The suffering is awful. When we were finally alone, I thought about the demands people were putting on Kristen. Live longer. Die faster. As I sat with her, I had a quiet picture of thousands of angels over the hill behind her house. The angels didn't want anything from Kristen. They were just there. She opened her eyes, and I told her about this picture. As I finished speaking, she slipped into a coma. She's joining the angels, I thought. She isn't staying, and she isn't going. Lonnie Brown arrived for his shift. I left and called Reverend Haddix to apprise him of the change. But Kristen returned to consciousness while Lonnie was playing some music tapes for her. On Friday, I learnt that Kristen and Ruthie had talked about Wednesday. I really had them worried, Kristen teased. They thought I was going. I know, mused Ruthie. What did you think? I thought I was gone too. On that eventful Friday, Ruthie and I worked hard. Kristen couldn't get comfortable. We turned her frequently. She seemed to be trying to shrug off her body. After Ruthie went home for a rest, Kristen couldn't sleep. She frequently asked me what time it was. Then she would ask me to check the calendar. She wanted to make certain of the day. She was also concerned that things be clean, especially the sheets and nightgown. It's okay, she would say, looking for affirmation. I would agree. It's okay. Then she told me that it was going to snow. I heartily disagreed. It was the end of March after a snowy winter. The ground was finally visible and it was warm. It was hard for me to leave that day. Kristen's needs seemed to have escalated. I was going to call Anne Holbrook and tell her that we should have two people at a time with Kristen. I was exhausted and decided to go home and have a nap first. As I got into bed, it started to snow. Great fat flakes whirling around caused me so much agitation that I went out on my deck and paced back and forth until the flurry stopped. Minutes later, Anne Holbrook called. Right after the snow, with her mother, her boyfriend, and a volunteer by her side, and with Ingrid arriving at the door and Adie at school, Kristen Howard had peacefully accomplished her death. Our work was done. It was a big job for a lot of people. Almost everyone benefited from some kind of healing. We were healed of fear of death, fear of inadequacy in the face of death, fear of loneliness. We experienced a unity in humanity that overcame the cold March winds and the separateness of our own little worlds. Kristen gave her trust to those who volunteered. What a trust, to allow friends, even strangers, to be with her as she lay dying. What a responsibility. And, as it turned out, what a gift. At a parent-teacher meeting a few weeks after Kristen's funeral, we read numerous thank-you notes and letters of recognition, including one from President Reagan. 
After the meeting, Kristen's mother said, You could look around and tell which ones had been with her. There was a different look on their faces. A new look of peace and love. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au Brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price.